uh, that uh, motherhood has had on my life. And uh, obviously, all of us, as Pastor alluded to, kind of tongue-in-cheek, none of us would be here without moms. And I'm sure every pulpit across America has said that exact quote today. Um, Today, I want to focus on things in a little bit of a different way. If you could turn with me to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. And before we read our text, I want to start off uh, with a story. The year was 1997. It was November. I was sitting in my bedroom. Uh, starting my day of school. I was homeschooled there that time in life. The night before, we'd had a huge scare. You see, my mom, Denise, uh, at 14 years old, she was diagnosed with diabetes. And uh, that sent her entire life into a tailspin. All of the related sicknesses and issues that went along with that were a constant plague upon her life. About probably a year prior to this moment, uh, my mom had been given one of the most unbelievable opportunities of her life. She was given the opportunity to have a pancreas transplant. At this point in time, it was an experimental procedure. What they were going to do, they said, was once they found a match of a donor, they were going to piggyback the new pancreas onto the old so that if the uh, the new was rejected, she would still be able to digest her food and receive nutrients from eating. So one day in the middle of the night on a Wednesday in November of 1997, she had got a message on her beeper, uh, an old piece of technology, that a match had been given. My parents had a bag packed already. They hopped into the vehicle. They went to the hospital. I had grandparents who lived downstairs, so they were able to leave me there sleeping. And uh, there that night, they put my mom under the knife. They put in a pancreas. And for the first time since she was 14 years old, her body was producing its own insulin. And uh, she was free from the need of constant blood tests, insulin shots in her leg. It was an amazing thing. I remember uh, a couple, probably the day before this day that I'm speaking of, I was in the hospital and I was there. And honestly, because of all of my mom's uh, physical issues, I was used to being in the hospital. This is a normal thing. I brought some comic books. I was uh, 12 years old at this time. I brought a stack of comic books. And while dad was talking to mom in the hospital room and she had been recovering, I was over in a lounge reading my comic books. Again, my mom was going to be around forever. And I came in, I said goodbye, you know, kind of popped in, see you, mom, and we left. Later on that afternoon, my dad was called back to the hospital because an emergency had taken place. Apparently, her heart had stopped and they resuscitated her twice. I was in bed. Uh, My dad came home and I remember he woke me up and said, Bob, you need to pray for your mom. You need to pray for her. And he told me that her heart had stopped twice and the doctors uh, had revived her, but he didn't know if she would make it through the night. I cried myself to sleep. That next morning I woke up, I started doing my thing. I was doing my normal homeschooling work in my bedroom and I heard the, the door open downstairs. I heard footsteps slowly and deliberately come up the stairs, turn the corner, come to my bedroom, and I'll never forget seeing my dad walk into the door frame and lean against the side of that frame. I could tell by the look on his face something was very wrong. He made his way into me, and I remember he gathered me into his arms. And he said two words that changed my life forever. She's gone. 
And there that day, probably one of the most impacting things that ever happened in my life was when my mom was taken from me. The death of a mother is what I want to speak about here today. In my story, it left an indelible mark upon me, the absence of my mother. She loved me. She cared for me. She discipled me. She sacrificed so much for me. Though she was sick, she always labored for me. She always made sure I was dressed well, always made sure my hair was done up right. Always she was a beautician. She always made sure my hair was cut right. I remember when she began to discover that I had a bunches of hairs growing between my eyebrows. She brought me into her beautician thing. She didn't tell me what she was doing, but she put this glob of wax, hot wax. She didn't tell me what she was going to do next, but it dried and, and Harden and then she went rip right off and I screamed. But my mom cared about me. She wanted to make sure I was well groomed, that I was well behaved. And when that day came, when she died, it changed my life. You know, friends, I want you to know that a mother is a precious thing. And listen, I know I'm speaking to some here. You have your mother here, and I want you to praise God for it. But I want you to know the absence of a mother is just as impacting as the presence of a mother. My life proves it. Because of what happened and God taking my mom from me, I'll be honest with you, I went through years of anger, rebellion, and difficulty because God, as far as I was concerned at that time of my life, he ruined my life. I said words like that. Dad, why couldn't we have a normal family just like everyone else? Why did God have to mess everything up for years? Thanksgiving time was a time of mourning, not a time of rejoicing. I felt I had nothing to thank God for the anger in my heart. The void that was there led me to try to fill it with all kinds of things. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that part of my story, but I want you to know, just like some of you heard in Sunday school, the hindrances even of the death of my mother were all a part of the great deliverance that God was setting up in my life. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. You know, as much as we might be perhaps, and maybe there are some here in this room that Mother's Day is a difficult time for you because your mother's gone. Maybe she's with the Lord. Maybe in other ways she's absent from your life. I want you to know that here this evening, uh, this morning, whatever it is here today, sorry, I'm off kilter doing one night of the war. I want you to know That a mother is one of the most precious possessions that we could ever have. And you know, when we think about our mothers and why they are so special to us, why it is that we treasure them, why it is that Mother's Day is so much better than Father's Day. Sorry, dads, okay? Why it is that we spend so much more effort on Mother's Day to honor our mothers and to make sure that they know how much we appreciate them. I really do believe in almost every case is because of what I want to speak to you about here this morning. I really believe in every case the reason why we love our moms so much is because of the death of our mothers. I want you to look with me in John chapter 12 and in verse number 20. 
Here it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew, Philip, uh, and Philip tell Jesus. And I want you to know here this moment in time was a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. It seemed as if at this point his ministry was really taking off. Here at this time, now for the first time, the Gentiles are seeking after the Savior. I don't know exactly what was in the mind of the disciples, but I'm sure they thought as much as they did not fully understand the full impact of what Jesus was going to have upon the non-Jew world. I'm sure at this moment in time, they recognize whatever this is, this is tremendous. God is doing something here today. And when Jesus answered the answer that he gave to them, I'm sure it was very perplexing, just like when I announced what I was uh, trying to prove here today. I want you to look at verse number 23. Here the scripture says, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's time for the Son of Man to be recognized for who He truly is, for Him to be honored, for Him to be exalted. It's time, disciples. And I'm sure the disciples thought, oh boy. Isn't this going to be good? We're going to lift up Jesus. We're going to honor Him. We're exalted Him. I wonder what that's going to look like. And he tells them what it's going to look like. And what he says, I'm sure, totally throws off the disciples. In verse number 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, Jesus here in this text, he understood that his death, which I believe is the primary application of what he's talking about in verse 24, he knew that his death, him dying, literally being planted in the soil, as we talked about last night in the war, being crucified on the cross, buried, was the pathway to eternal life. For all of us, in other words, every one of us benefits from the death of Jesus because through his death would come multiplied life. But Jesus makes it very clear he is not just speaking of his death. If you look at verse number 25, he says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it Unto life eternal, if any man serve me, let him follow me, that where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And here in this text, Jesus is making it clear, not only does his death lead to multiplied life because he provided eternal life for all mankind, but he is also making it clear that our death leads to abundant life. 
And I really do believe as far as Mother's Day is concerned here today that one of the reasons why we honor our mothers is because the very role of motherhood is often a death to self. The very role and task and the way motherhood pans out in day-to-day life is mothers often saying no to self and therefore dying to what they want, to their comfort, to their desires, to their plans, to give themselves wholeheartedly for their children and their husbands. You know, I really do believe that one of the reasons we treasure mothers is because mothers exemplify what is being talked about here in these verses. You see, we celebrate Mother's Day because the death of our mothers brings life to us. What I want to speak to you about here this morning, I told you it was going to be a little bit unusual. See, I want to both honor and challenge our mothers here this morning. I want to honor you because many of you have made decisions of death in having your children, in rearing your children, in doing your very best to honor your husband and to support him. And it is those very decisions of death, like Jesus died and brought multiplied life, even so moms, when they have died to themselves, God uses their deaths to bring life into their homes. Unless you think I'm just preaching to the mother, this mothers, this principle works for any of us, okay? You see, when we die, when we die, God brings from that very death abundant life. I want to speak to you here this morning about decisions of death. You know, people have been trying to cheat death for thousands of years. Did you know that? Did you know that? Um, In fact, according to legend, Gilgamesh tried to cheat death by earning immortality. But it didn't work. And plus, it was just a legend. He eventually died, according to legend, like a normal human. Did you know that the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang, he tried to cheat death by banning the word death. (laughs) And by drinking an elixir of mercury. (laughs) That second one is what killed him. Pope Innocent VIII, this is creepy, he thought he could cheat death by injecting his body with the blood of children. Yeah, but he died just like a mortal man. Hungarian Countess, Hungarian Countess Elizabeth Bathory, she took baths in the blood of murdered virgins to give her immortality and to make her skin very smooth and supple. I don't know what kind of skin she had when she died, But she died, just like everyone else. You know, uh, Nazi leader Heinrich Himmler, he tried to cheat death by searching for the Holy Grail, but he never found it, and he ended up killing himself with a cyanide pill. You know, that stuff, we might think it's distant history, but I want you to know today in our world, the transhumanism movement is attempting to cheat death by modifying our genetic code or by replacing or augmenting different parts of our body with technology. But I'm going to make a prediction here tonight, today, this morning, (laughs) that all of them 
are going to die, all of them. You see, humanity hates death and they do everything that they can to avoid it. But I know another group of people that hates death even more than the rest of society, and that is Christians. Christians. Because you see, many times when Christians are confronted with an opportunity to follow Jesus to his death, they recoil. They dig in. They hold back and they do everything they can to avoid it. And I think ultimately that's because Christians oftentimes don't believe their Bibles. Because as we've seen in this passage, Jesus had a very different perspective on death. Like I said, he knew that his death was the path to eternal life. And he knew that our death in following him was the path to the abundant life. But you know, I could stand up here today and say we're thankful for our mothers because they died to self. And all of us need to die to self like they do. And maybe some mothers might could use to die to self a little bit more every now and then too. Right, moms? You have not arrived. We're all growing in this matter. But you know, just to say we need to die to self, we need to surrender ourselves completely and unconditionally to Jesus Christ honestly isn't always very helpful. So what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and talk about three things that need to die in our lives if we want to experience the abundant life that Jesus has provided for us. The first one, and I'm going to remove ourselves from our text. We'll come back to it here in just a minute. In the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 7, we found a story of the, uh, the children of Israel who'd been promised the promised land. They'd been given an opportunity to go and to win every battle they faced, but the first battle was the battle of Jericho. God made it very clear every single piece of the spoils of battle was God's and God's alone, he said, it is accursed or devoted to destruction. Hands off, don't touch. But one man in that particular group of soldiers disobeyed God. He had taken the accursed thing. He hid it under his tent. And God made it very clear that the whole nation was accursed as a result. And I want to just say this here today. There may be some here in this room, just like the children of Israel, you've got some sins hidden underneath of your tent. You've got some things that you have tolerated and allowed in your life in direct disobedience to God. And I want you to know it's killing you. And I don't mean in a good way here today. Listen, maybe there are some. I spoke last night to the teenagers about pornography. And there very well could be young people, maybe not so young people here in this room. You've gotten involved in things on the computer, on the internet, on your phone. You've looked at things you know don't please God. You've got dirty little habits. And you are tolerating those things that God says no to. And it's killing you. Listen, maybe the reason why you're defeated in your soul winning is because you have not yet put some sins to death. The Bible tells us we're supposed to mortify our members on this earth. And oftentimes that involves saying yes to God and no to our sin. And I recognize we need God's help. And without him, we can do nothing. But friends, you've got to take the initiative and you've got to say yes to Jesus and no to yourself. Oftentimes times the reason why we tolerate sins is because we like them. Oftentimes the reason why we hide things, dirty little habits, things that we don't want anyone to know about is because we don't want anyone to know. And the last time I checked, God calls that pride. And he says that is the very reason why God resists you because God resisteth the proud. 
Maybe I'm talking to some husbands here in this room. Maybe your wife thinks you're just willful, but you know full well you're not just willful. You're defeated. You've got all kinds of things. You've got all kinds of television series you watch that you wouldn't want your wife and kids to know. Maybe you've got your secret Disney Plus account and you watch things there that you know full well your wife would raise an eyebrow to, but you tolerate it anyway. Listen, maybe you've got the Netflix account. Maybe you've got certain YouTube channels. You've got an alternative YouTube account that you watch so nobody can track your history. And friends, I want you to know the hidden sin in your life is killing you. It is killing you. You know, I really do believe that oftentimes we have churches like yours that preach the spirit-filled life and you are very clear on God dependence for spirit enablement and I'm right with you. But I find sometimes in churches like that and any church for that matter, you can so understand the truth, but because you tolerate things that God says you shouldn't tolerate in your midst, it's just a show. You can talk the talk. You can pray the prayers in public, look spiritual, act spiritual. But the entire lack of fruit in your life is evidence of the fact that what you claim to be living, you are not. The surrender stops when it comes to the hidden sins in your midst. And I was not intending on spending as much time on this here this morning. I meant to touch it and keep going. But I want you to know that there could be some, I believe there very likely are some here in this room. There's all kinds of stuff. Maybe it's the music you listen to driving down the road. You know full well God says no. Maybe it is the things you do on your computer. Maybe it's the debauchery in the video games you consume. Maybe it is the things you tolerate and allow onto your television screen, the movies that you watch, the things that God has made it clear. You know what? I think sometimes we can feel like we get so close to God, we can move past having to be careful about the things which we do. But friends, it's not true. The closer you get to God, the more specific he is about you. And I'm not saying you need to follow some other person's list of rules or even the applications that I've given here tonight, but sometimes we ignore the voice of the Spirit. We ignore when God in the secret, still small voice of your heart says no. Listen to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him. It is sin. And we might pretend like we're the spiritual person in the midst, but the fact of the matter is our sins are killing us. And you need to put your sins to death. I'm thankful Joshua did, aren't you? Listen, that nation was getting nowhere fast. And Joshua realized that they had a problem, so he sought God about it, and God put his finger on the point of departure, and God said, kill it. Kill it. And he did, and on the other side, there was victory where before there had been defeat literally in the same spot geographically. Listen, you need to put your sins to death. Part of dying to self is saying no to your sin and yes to God. Secondly, you also need to put your sons to death. What do I mean by that? 
I'm reminded of the story in Genesis 22. God had given Abraham an amazing provision. He gave him his son Isaac, the son of promise, right? This was the very son through whom all of God's promises would be fulfilled, right? God had given him a promise through you. All the families of the earth were going to be blessed, right? And that you would have a descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And Abraham was all into that. Yet one day God showed up and said, all right, Abraham, take your son up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That didn't make any sense. What in the world was this? And yet God was taking Abraham the next step on his journey of being a friend of God. And what God was clear there that day was, Abraham, are you going to demand to understand or are you going to obey me? You see, sometimes there are things in your life that God asks you to kill that don't make any sense. There are things that the still small small voice of God says, I don't want you hanging on to this anymore. And we can come back to God with all kinds of biblical reasons why we shouldn't have to give this up. Well, God, you didn't say there's anything wrong with it in the Bible. Well, God, this is a very good thing. God, this is a means to my provision. God, this is something you promised to me. This is something that brings me pleasure. God, why would you ever tell me to give this up yet? Who's God again? Oh, that's right. God is God. And he is the Lord of all the earth. He's the one who bought you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And God tells us, therefore, to glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are God's. You don't have to know what God is doing. What you have to do is say yes to God. And oftentimes saying yes to God is saying no to yourself. Um, I want to come back to my story because, again, I want to tie this to mothers here today. I remember um, my dad, when I was 16 years old, this was four years after my mom, Denise, passed away. My dad started seeing a lady from Bible Baptist Church in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Well, through an evangelist, God had found out there was this woman who'd been a missionary to Africa for 15 years. She had never been married. Her name at that time was Vicki Burry. I don't know if anybody might know who she is. Okay, maybe a few do. Um, but... He said, hey, there's this woman over there. Uh, She's eligible. My dad began to pursue her. God made it clear that this was the woman to marry my dad. And in uh, 2001, I believe it was. I think it could have been 2000. Oh, I hope mom's not listening. Um, But they got married. And my mom not only got a husband, she got a 16-year-old son. Talking about dying, talk about dying to self there, okay? She always knew God had promised that she'd get married. I don't think she saw the teenage son as a part of the deal. (laughs) I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. Remember how I told you how terrible my life had become? But my mom, she was so wise. She did not step into the situation like a bull in a china shop. She didn't start shooting at all the things that was going on. You know what she did? She loved me. She loved me. She was so careful about the things of my mom, Denise, and not just coming in and cleaning house and throwing stuff away. She'd ask us about everything, and is this something that's sentimental to you, that's precious to you, and so on. And I'm so thankful for that. But I remember for two years, uh, she was over my homeschooling, and uh, she put my feet to the fire, and I'm so thankful for that. But I remember around Christmas, my junior year, she took me and my dad to a Christmas program at Westchester Christian School. And I remember I saw the program and I thought, wow, those kids, 
they seem to love the Lord. Wow, those kids can sing. That looks so cool. And I remember my mom could tell by just the deportment of, of, of my demeanor that I would love to go to a Christian school for my senior year. Apparently behind the scenes, she started having conversations with my dad about that. And unbeknownst to me, though we lived in Jersey an hour away from Westchester, she had some business contacts that were willing to rehire her, though she did not need to work. And she, one day, I remember, she sat me down and she said, Bobby, would you like to go to that Christian school? And I said, oh, that'd be cool, but Mom, we can't afford that. And she said, well, we might be able to. A couple of businesses out there have agreed to rehire me, and I could work and drive one way with you an hour each day to pay for your Christian school education your senior year of high school. Would you be okay with that? I don't remember. I was floored. I was floored that my mom, this woman I just met a couple years ago, would be willing to work a job she didn't have to work and hazard her life by letting a 17, 18 year old drive with a permit, okay, down I 95 through that Chester interchange to get to Westchester so that I could be in a Christian school my senior year. Well, we prayed about it. The Lord gave some very clear answers to prayer. It wasn't just the sacrifice. It was spending time with her every day, an hour, both ways, hazarding our lives together. But you know what? That senior year, because of my mom's sacrifice, because of my mom being willing to sacrifice her comfort for me, that senior year, I remember we went to a weekend retreat, and I heard uh, today one of my favorite preachers, I won't mention his name, but I heard him for the first time. I wept through the entire sermon. God did a work in my heart. That following Sunday, God called me to preach, and I said yes. And throughout that year, God did so many things in my heart and in my life, not only through the school, not only through the preachers God put me in contact with, but just through being with a mom who was willing to put even the very provision of her life on the altar for my sake. It changed my life. It changed my life. Yet sometimes we refuse to put those things in our lives that we feel we have a right to, to death. Sometimes we refuse to give up those provisions those things that are precious to us. I'm sure the last thing she wanted to do was to continue working. I'm sure, listen, we had a fine income. She could have been fine just being a mom at home, but she gave it up for me. And honestly, I'm here today as a result of that. There are thousands of teens that are on their way to heaven because of that sacrifice of my mom, Vicki. Listen, maybe it's something that is precious to you, something that is is prosperous to you. Maybe it's something that was promised to you. But listen, when God says, give it up, I don't care how precious it is to you. If you want to experience that abundant life, you say yes to God and no to yourself. Listen, you need to put your sins to death. You need to put your sons to death. And one last thing, and this is where we get back to our text here this morning. The greatest thing that God wants to die is you. He wants you to put yourself 
to death. You see, according to the analogy Jesus gave in verse 24, he knows the amazing potential that is inside of you. Uh, I, uh, just this morning, I was reading um, uh, a verse uh, in another passage that I just felt captured this so much. I don't turn there for sake of time, but 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He said of his own life, the apostle Paul, that they are always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He says, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life also of Jesus may be, may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then he says, death worketh in us but life in you. If we go back to our text, that's exactly what he's talking about. Listen, death worked in Jesus so that life could work in you. And what he's calling his disciples to do is to die to himself so that life could come through them. Listen, God knows the amazing potential that is inside of you, but the husk of self is keeping it bottled up. God wants you to let that husk be broken so that the life of Jesus can bring forth much fruit. It's not suicide, but sometimes it feels like it. It's not just death to this or that, but it's letting God kill you. It's giving everything up. To follow Jesus. Again, I'm, I'm out of time here this morning, but listen, here in verse 25, he says, he that loveth his life, I think the operative word there is his, his own, one's own life. Listen, the first death to self that needs to happen is death to self-preference. So often, we have things that we want, and listen, if I understand, I'm not a mom, obviously, okay, but with society today, uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> But listen, I know, listen, having watched my wife and her amazing sacrifice, I know that there are so many times mom gets up early in the morning, all they want to do is have devotions. But when you got little kids, ha! Because the first little rustle, they're up and they want food, right? Or they're up and they want attention, they want to play. And it, it seems as if moms are constantly dying to their self-preference. We as a family experienced this recently. I told you on Wednesday night, we and our trailer found out we cannot go any further with my, our trailer. And I was so amazed by my trooper of a wife who I'm sure would have preferred to just stay with the trailer in Dayton. But she went through, packed up all of our stuff, and we kept going. Listen, I want you to know, you may not understand what it takes to live life on the road, but it is one death to self-preference after and another and being a mom is not much different because as a mom oftentimes your kids need something and that means you need to sacrifice your time your energy and oftentimes when finally you got a little time to yourself at the end of the day for me time right <laughs> the kids show up and mess it all up but listen a good mom is a mom and the reason why we love our moms is because while dad would get grumpy and tell him to go away moms just give and they give and they give. Listen, that death to self 
preference is the death that breaks the husk of self that brings the life of Jesus out in full force. I don't have time to fully develop verse 25. It's not just death to self-preference. It's also death to self-guidance. In verse 26, he says, if any man serve him, let him follow me that where I am there also shall my servant be. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be where I'm at. You know what that means? You need to die to your own self-guidance. So often, moms, we want to, we, you want to be the ones to determine how the day is going to go, right? You make your plans. Here's how homeschooling is going to go. Once again, I quote, ha! You know, you got the little one who's not in homeschooling yet, and the older ones, you're trying to work with them, and the little one cuts their thumb off. Or the little one totally not only fills his diaper, but there's overflow. You know what I'm saying? And some of you older folks, it's been a long time since you've even thought about that. Okay, but the kid gets in into the Cheerios, and it's all over themselves and all over the floor, and you're trying to fold the laundry, and you go over to deal with this. And this over here, the little one unfolds all of the laundry right behind behind you and it seems as if you think I had this day planned out so perfectly but everything got in the way listen part of death to self is death to self guidance let it go God is good all the time. And God in his goodness has a path that is rarely the path that we plan. And through the process of our day, we need to see the hand of God in all of it and recognize, listen, this is not about me and my plans. It's about him. No, yes, I understand. You got to help the kids. You got to help them not get in trouble and kill themselves. I get it. That's half the role of a mother is keeping your children from killing themselves and each other. Okay, but listen. In the process, it's easy to get all twisted up because things didn't go the way we wanted them to. And one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for my moms is because they were willing to roll with it. They were willing to surrender to God and his providence and what he did. It's also a death to self-preservation. Verse 27, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. In other words, am I supposed to go to God, he says, and I'm supposed to ask God to rescue me from dying on the cross? Um, no. For this cause came I to this hour. Jesus recognized that his role was to die. That's what he was there for. And the idolatrous focus on self would be to preserve his life instead of giving his life. You see, one of the reasons why we are so thankful for our moms is because they're willing to give up that preservation instinct that they can, folks can so often have for the sake of their husbands and for the sake of their kids, and in so doing, they bring life, life to their families. One story, and I'll be done. Again, I'm out of time. Years ago in Pennsylvania, there was a young lady who had huge potential she was a believer and Bible college student who was training to serve the Lord and had just finished her freshman year. But she also had a huge problem. She just slept with a guy she didn't even know. She went back to college not knowing that her problem would get even worse because she was pregnant. Shortly into the semester, she took a pregnancy test and discovered that she was indeed pregnant and her college plans were pretty much ruined. Or were they? 
She knew that it would be easy to hide her sin and terminate the pregnancy, but she couldn't do it. It wasn't right. It was right then and there that she made a decision of death. She called her parents and unloaded the truck about what she'd done and brought her sin out in the open. Her parents forgave her and made arrangements for her to leave college and settle down at a family's home in the countryside for the duration of the pregnancy. But she had another decision of death staring her in the face whenever she looked down at her growing womb. What would she do with the baby? She knew that the selfish thing to do would be to keep the baby for herself. She couldn't expect her parents to support her, and she certainly didn't have the means to support the baby herself as a 19-year-old. A choice to keep the baby would be a purely selfish choice and would not have the child's best interests in mind. The child, though a product of fornication, was precious to her. She didn't want to give the baby up, but she knew that she must. She knew that God wanted her to do it, so she chose a placement family with a reputable adoption service. After nine months, she delivered a healthy baby boy and immediately was faced with another decision of death. Would she stick to her decision to give the baby up? In the hospital room, with her new baby in her arms, she died to her preferences her own wisdom, and her own ability to hang on to any influence she might have on the child. She signed on the dotted line to give up her rights to the child, to deliver him to the adopted, adopted family, and to seal the records in what was known as a closed adoption. And just like that, he was gone. 33 years later, after years of wandering and wondering, she received a letter in the mail from the adoption agency they wanted to speak to her on the phone and asked that she call them as soon as possible. Curious, she called and they said that someone had left a message for her. The message was from her son. And this is what it said. I want you to know that I'm saved and serving the Lord as an itinerant evangelist. My parents raised me for the Lord and now I'm married and have three wonderful children. Your decision to give me up was the right decision and God has used it for great good in my life and in my family. I've prayed about making contact for years, but haven't wanted to risk any negative repercussions in your life or family by making contact. As much as I would like to meet you, I also want you to feel the complete freedom to take what was just shared and be encouraged without making contact. If, however, you feel it would not jeopardize your current relationships, I would be very much open to the possibility of connecting. After weeping for joy, she told the agent that she would most definitely like to reconnect. They, in response, told her her son's name, Bobby Bosler. On the first Mother's Day, after our reunification, I wrote this poem for my birth mom. In case you haven't been keeping track, I have three moms, okay? I wrote this poem for my birth mom that I think summarizes her decisions of death and the results that followed. To plant a seed into the ground where I can no more view where love's sweet gaze of tenderness is blind, tis hard to do. You find the seed beyond your grasp, beyond your loving care. You're powerless to do a thing except to kneel in prayer. You feel as if you've given up a task that should be yours. Your weakness, fears, and dark regrets as one great army war against your faith, your hope, the love that led you to this plight. And yet you know deep down inside the choice you made was right. 
While seed lays dormant in the ground, all hope has not been lost. For God, the Lord of life and death, has taken up your cost. The miracle within the soil is not man's task to work. And yet, without surrender's choice, the seed be lone and dark. We never know just what will come when to our will we die. But God, who raised the dead, that seed will greatly multiply. So thank you for your step of faith to plant me in the sod. Your love and your surrendered choice have brought much fruit to God. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Let's bow our heads. Lord God in heaven, I want to thank you so much for these folks and for their attentiveness. And thank you so much for our mothers that we have here today. Thank you for their sacrifice and their willingness to die to self on a regular basis for our good. God, I ask, Lord, for each one in this room, you'd stir them with the prospect of the miracle within the seed. Lord, I pray that there would be many funerals in hearts here this morning as we put our sins and our sons and ourselves to death so that we can see the miracle of the soil before our very eyes. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, Pastor.